So we're going to um, continue on going through John. This week, if you've been reading along with your, your list, you read John chapter 8. And um, as I pointed out to you last week, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke emphasize the humanity of Jesus, Matthew may be his messianic identity, Luke his humanness and his servant spirit, uh, John emphasizes his deity. And it's extremely important that we understand exactly who Jesus is. Because if you were to go out on the street corner today and just stop random people and say, who is Jesus? Could you imagine the, the responses you would get? I think most people would be comfortable saying Jesus was a prophet. Uh, the typical Jewish person today, for example, would be comfortable with that. Uh, he was a great rabbi and a prophet. Of course, when you call Jesus a prophet, you're not really thinking through all the ramifications of that statement. Because if Jesus was a prophet, then you'd have to believe everything he said. And if you believed everything he said, there would only be one religion. You following me? But most people, uh, uh, the Muslims would say he's a prophet. Even the Baha'i faith would say he's a prophet. So that would probably be your most common answer. If you talk to a, a Mormon, who is Jesus? Jesus is the God of this world. This world, not any other world. He's not the one and only God or son of God only. He's just one God amongst many. He's a, a man who became a God as man... How is it? As God is, man was, or was man, something like they, something They basically say man will become God, and God was once man. If you were asking Jehovah's Witness who Jesus is, and they would say he's Michael the archangel. You ask a Christian who Jesus is, is God in human flesh. So we use the same word, Jesus, but what we mean by that is not the same. And we have to be very understanding of this concept. Let me, let me grab something over here. <clears throat> What is this thing? Does anybody know what this thing is? Let's just, for argument's sake, call it an easel, okay? That's an easel. And this is a Mercedes-Benz. Now, just by curiosity to understand our congregation, how many of you in the congregation own a Mercedes-Benz? Can I see a raise of hands, please? What's your problem? Yeah, please, raise it up. I asked how many of you own a Mercedes. One, two, three, four. I know there's a couple in the back, five, six. So six of you own Mercedes-Benzes, right? So if I were to take you out into the parking lot to compare your Mercedes-Benzes, we'd run into a problem. And you'd realize that we're not talking about the same thing at all. So go ahead, give me my pen back. See, I fooled you. That's not a pen. That's a Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> Can I have Mercedes back, please? <laughs> Thank you. Let's, let's check out your... Oh, what an arm you got. Wow. Almost took out an eye with that one. So everybody says they know who Jesus is, but they don't. It's the same name, but it ain't a Mercedes. The difference between a pen and a Mercedes-Benz a pen and a Mercedes are much closer to each other than Jesus is to various understandings of who he is. And so if, this, if you're not satisfied with this being a Mercedes-Benz, you certainly shouldn't be satisfied with misunderstanding who Jesus is. John chapter 8. Who exactly is Jesus? Before we look at his own words about himself, I've got to read to you my favorite. 
oh, I don't, I, you know, I'm laughing, I'm going to hurt people's feelings, I'm going to get people angry at me, but it, it cracked me up. What can I tell you? I'm looking at all these various different perspectives on who Jesus is, so I visited a Unitarian Church website. They had a question and answer section, and here's what they wrote, straight from the website. Do some Universalist Unitarians have different beliefs than other Universalist Unitarians? Here's the answer. They certainly do. Since individual freedom of belief is one of our basic principles, it follows that there will be differing beliefs among us. Found in today's churches are humanism, agnosticism, atheism, theism, liberal Christianity, neo-paganism, and earth spiritualism. These beliefs are not mutually exclusive. Atheism is not mutually exclusive with Christianity or theism. That's the definition of mutually exclusive. There is a God. There is no God. At least they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> so what I learned about Unitarians is they don't have a belief system, which is fine. If you don't want to have a belief system, don't have a belief system. But then what, what makes it a church? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. And it's not my problem to answer that question today. I just, that just blew my mind, though. And my whole point is, people really don't know who Jesus is. Some don't even care, including many churches. So who exactly, exactly is Jesus? What did he say about himself? In John chapter 8, he talks about himself. Here's what he says in verse 23. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Okay, so he said he's from above. He's from heaven. Now, if you know the Christmas story, he was born in a manger. So how is it that he says he's from heaven? Obviously, he's saying he has a pre-existence to his earthly incarnation. He existed in heaven before he was born. This isn't some reincarnation thing. He's simply God in human flesh, and he's letting people know, hey, when I was born just a few years ago, that's not when I originated. I'm actually from there. So what does he say about himself? He, he says he's from heaven, not from earth. Verse 24, he goes on and says more. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you don't believe that I'm the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. All right, two things there. First, he says that faith in him is mandatory for salvation. So that means all the religions that say Jesus doesn't count, according to Jesus, are mistaken. He says if you don't believe in him, you can't be saved. But unfortunately, the second thing, the NIV translation here is quite weak. It says here, if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will die in your sins. That is not what he said. That's not what any other major translation of the Bible says. That's not what he said. Let me read to you some other translations of the Bible, and I'll put them up on screen for you. Here's what the King James Version says. I said, therefore, unto you, that ye shall die in your sins... For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, let me get my Mercedes here. And you'll notice on the screen in your Bibles, the word is in italics. When people translate the Bible, if they put a word into italics, what they're saying is this word is not in the original language. We're adding it to help you understand the context better. 
Because if you were just to do it in the wooden, literal way, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins, I am what? We expect in English there to be an answer to that question, and it's not in there. Leaves people confused, so they add the word. Unfortunately, sometimes when you add a word, you don't add clarity, you add confusion. And that's the case here. Heck, the NIV added a whole bunch of words, unless you believe that I am the one I claim to be. King James just says, I am, and adds the word he. Now we go over the New King James, and it reads very similarly. It says, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Again, the word is in italics, but this time it's capitalized. So why did they capitalize it in this one? Because their understanding, it's referring to God. So they capitalize it. Their understanding is, unless you believe I'm God, you will die in your sins. The New American Standard, by the way, you can put it up if you want, is the exact same thing. They add the word he, and they capitalize it. So the King James, the New King James, and the New American Standard all add the word he. The King James leaves it in lowercase. The New King James and the New American Standard put it into uppercase. Another translation which is not as well known as these guys, but in this instance is much more accurate. It's the International Standard Version, and it says this. That is why I told you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. All this one says is exactly what the Bible says. I am. And it puts it in capitals. Why does it put in capitals? For the same reason the New King James and the New American Standard puts it in capitals, because they think he's referencing his deity. That, by the way, is an interpretation. That's an interpretation. That's a translation. That's exactly what it says in the Greek. Why would Jesus say, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am? You are what? That doesn't make sense in our way of looking at things. It's not good English. It's not good Greek either. And it's not good Hebrew. He was speaking. His turn of phrase was awkward. But they understood him nevertheless. How do I know they understood? Verses 56 through 59, listen. Here's Jesus talking. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it and was glad. They said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was, I am. The word born, some throw in, some don't. Before Abraham was, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. All right, so they italicized it to show deity, Apparently, the Judeans also thought he was claiming to be divinity because they picked up stones and they were going to stone him for calling himself or saying about himself, I am. Now, I know most of you know this, but for those of you who don't, this will be new, and hopefully we can give you a little more clarity for those of you who already know it. Jesus was talking to a biblically literate crowd. They knew the Bible, and he was mentioning something that they all knew comes from Exodus chapter 3. Let me give you the context. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, 
who was the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over now and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. The bush is on fire, but it's not on fire. It's not burning up. This is weird. What's going on? I'm going to get a closer look. But the scripture says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire within the bush. So if I were to ask you a question right now, who appeared to Moses in the burning bush? Your answer would be the angel of the Lord. It's not a trick question. It gets tricky in a moment, but not just yet. By the way, I've told you this also. The word angel does not appear there in the Hebrew. There is no Hebrew word for angel. It's just the word messenger or ambassador. See, when you put the word angel, that's an interpretation, not a translation. How would you translate this, Steve? The messenger of the Lord or the ambassador of the Lord appeared in the burning bush. See, the word angel necessitates a created heavenly being. The word messenger or ambassador doesn't tell you anything about the being, only that he's a representative of God. So angel narrows it to something that's wrong. Ambassador just says he comes from God, but you don't know in what capacity. You don't know who or what he is. He's just an ambassador. Could be human, could be divine. You don't know. That's what the language says. So this ambassador of the Lord appears to Moses in a burning bush. Then verse 3, so Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. So who's in the bush? Just a minute ago, it was the ambassador of the Lord. Now we got the Lord in the bush. It's a busy bush. (laughs) Who else is in there? It's not a busy bush. Only God's in the bush. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. Message? Messenger? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was in the bush. He's the ambassador of God. And he is the Lord also. That makes sense. So God speaks to Moses... Out of the bush. The story continues, verse 6. Then he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 10. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 13. So Moses said to God, Well, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me, what's his name? What should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Ah. God calls himself the I am. So when Jesus stood before all those people and said, before Abraham was, I am, and they picked up stones to stone him, he knew what he was saying, they knew what he was saying, 
Why is it today we don't know what he was saying? I mean, we do. But all those people out there, huh? Jesus never claimed to be God. He even says in chapter 10, I and the Father, we are one. Oh, he very much claimed to be God. By the way, it says the Lord appeared to Moses. It doesn't say God. It says Lord. Another bad translation. In your Bible, if you were to take a look, you will see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Sometimes when the Lord, word Lord appears, it'll be capital L-O-R-D, and sometimes L-O-R-D. I'm not sure about this one. When it's all capitals, it's telling us something. It's telling us this is God's name in the Hebrew. When the first one's capital, it's just the word Lord, referring to the divinity. Like, you know the word Lord. But this, this is confusing. This is the word that we sometimes translate as Jehovah or Yahweh. So if they wanted to do a literal translation and not an interpretation... It wouldn't say the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush. It would say Jehovah appeared to him or Yahweh appeared to him in a burning bush. Pretty cool, huh? I wrote that yesterday and I saved it just for you. When it says the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush, this is what it looks like in the Hebrew. Now there's an extra space here. I, I spread it out so that I could line them up for you. It's four Hebrew letters, the Y sound, the H sound, the V sound, and the H sound. Nobody really knows how to pronounce God's name because there's no vowels in there. So maybe it's Yehovah, maybe it's Yahweh, Yehiyeh, don't know. Yehivi, nobody's sure. The most popular one is Yahweh or Jehovah, but there's no J. This is a Y sound. So if you were going to go with that, you might want to go with Yehovah. That would be closer. All right. Now, this letter is the same as this letter. This letter is the same as this letter. These letters are the same, but this letter and this letter are quite similar. They're related, and one is just the same, but it's longer. This is kind of the, the Y sound. This one's kind of more like the V sound. This word up here is the Hebrew verb, I am. So when Moses asked, what's your name? He said, I am. The I am spoke to Moses and said, I am. This one's spelled differently. Why? Because this one's a name, this one's a verb. But you can tell that the name is based on the verb. So in some Jewish translations, this is translated not as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, but as the eternal one because of this verb, the one who is. All right, wrap up what I've been teaching you. Five points, just a summary. God appears in the burning bush as and with the ambassador or messenger of the Lord. Number two, two beings are essentially one, God and his messenger. Three, God calls himself the I am which kind of makes sense because he's the only being in the universe that can be identified as that. We all got a start date. He has no start date. Number four, this is exactly what Jesus called himself. 
the I am. And number five, this is why the Judeans wanted to stone him, because he was calling himself God. So I started off my lesson saying there's all sorts of different opinion as to who and what Jesus is. We looked at what Jesus said about himself. Now, there's more. We've looked at this in the past. We'll look at it in the future. He constantly references his divinity in John's gospel. That's why it's such an important gospel. And as I quoted for you earlier, John 1.1 says this and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And then I jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so Steve, we'll just add yours to the list of ideas on who Jesus is. It doesn't really matter. It does matter. There are a lot of things in theology that don't matter. I mean, everything matters, but they don't really matter. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I had told them, coincidentally, you bring this up to me, I'm going to be teaching on it in a week or two. They asked me about the concept of soul sleep. Do I think that when somebody dies, they go to sleep, and then later they're resurrected to see the Lord? Or do I believe that when we die, we're immediately in the Lord's presence? And I gave them my perspective, which I'll be sharing with you in a week or so. And I said, but but let me tell you something. I'm happy to answer your question, but I don't care what you believe. What I mean by that is I give you the grace to be wrong. And you extend to me the same grace. Because let's say you're right. When you die, your soul goes to sleep and you wake up and you see Jesus. So? And if I die and I see Jesus right away. If you're wrong, you're going to see him right away anyway. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to see him right away because I'll be sleeping and I won't know I'm sleeping and I'll wake up and I'll still see him right away. It doesn't matter. One is true and one is not. And there can be ramifications of the belief system. So in that respect, it matters. But just whatever, you know. You're not going to become less of a human being, less of a believer because of your confusion over that topic. But the topic of who Jesus is, that's vitally important. There's no room for flexibility on that one. Why? Listen to what he says. Again, I told you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So, Steve, you know, the the Muslims believe in Jesus. No, not that he's the I am, they don't. Steve, the Jews believe in Jesus. No, not that he's the I am, they don't. Steve, the Mormons believe in Jesus. No, not the I am, they don't. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus. No, not the I am. They don't. It's vitally important because he said to his audience, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for showing us who Jesus is, and please help us to represent him well, to be his ambassadors, even as he he is your ambassador. Help us to follow him with all our hearts, all our souls, all our mind, 
in all our strength. And help us to grasp a hold of the importance of his identity so that we might share the truth with others so that they will not die in their sins. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.